welcome to season two of Pasco Podcast, a series where we discuss leadership and public service. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the 550,000 plus residents of Pasco County, as represented by the Board of County Commissioners. It's through their trust and empowerment of our workforce and leadership team that we're able to bring you this podcast. We created this podcast to help public servants build leadership skills and leverage them for success by sharing the experiences of our peers. Hi, I'm Dan Biles and welcome to our 19th episode of Pasco Podcast. Join us today from our development services branch is Carl McKiska, right? Yes. All right, great. And business support, our MPO director and business support manager, Matt Campbell. So welcome. Great to have you here today. Uh, just, um, you know, we kind of have a chance to sit down uh, and talk a little bit about leadership, leadership philosophy, kind of your perspective, how you learn, how you developed and, and what you're doing going forward. So first, I just kind of want to start off with uh, can I get, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to Pasco? Either way. Carl? I'll kick off. Um, I started in a career in transportation up in Illinois. And just through various job opportunities that came along, it, I found my way to Florida. And while working for the Statewide Association of MPOs, I learned of the opening here and thought rather than doing the statewide perspective, it'd be much more fun to work at the local level directly with our constituents, with our local elected officials. And so that was the attraction. And so here I am um, a year later. Yeah. In, in your position, it's kind of interesting to me because you work for the MPO board, which is the is not the board of county commissioners, and yet you're in our organization. Yes. So, I mean, it's kind of a dichotomy there you have to work through. It is, but it um, it's the same group of people. Our board of county commissioners are fully represented on the MPO board, and so I have that same audience. And realistically, for an MPO to be effective, that partnership with the county is crucial. Otherwise, we're just not going to have the products. Right. All right. Well, thanks. Matt? Thank you, Dan. Well, I've spent the last 25 years in either local municipal government or in the private sector. And the last 15 years have been spent at the city management level over in Pinellas County for various municipalities. And, you know, the Pasco County opportunity was unique, and it was an opportunity that made itself available to me back in April of last year. And I was in a position in my life where I was looking for a change, and this was that opportunity to come in and be your first business support manager. So here I am, and it's it's a great opportunity, and I'm thankful to be here. Thanks. And that's a unique position, too, in, in the county, and not a lot of counties have that. Um, what, explain a little bit about your role and, and what you do. Well, the business support manager serves as the executive liaison between the business and developer community in the county administration. Okay. Basically, you know, it's no secret that Pasco County is probably the third or fourth fastest growing county in the state right now. And what we were finding was a number of developers were putting together projects. And from the point of thought or inception to the point of certificate of occupancy, um, those times were getting greater and greater. And the county, listening to the commission and the leadership, decided, let's bring on someone that maybe knows how to talk to developers, knows how to talk to politicians, knows how to work with staff to see if we can't keep these projects moving and ultimately foster improved communication amongst everyone involved so that maybe some of these folks can get through the process a little bit quicker. Yeah. So to treat capital well, so the capital stays and is invested in Pasco County. Absolutely. Right. So, hey, appreciate you again being here today. So kind of want to start off with, uh, tell us a little bit about your leadership philosophy and, you know, how you lead teams and that kind of a thing. Either one. We'll 
You want to take well, it away? <laughs> you know, instead of the top-down norm, I've always promoted servant leadership. I feel as though it's very important to work with your team and bring your team up together. I feel as though the relationships that you build with your team, and as long as your team sees that you're not the person that's constantly in the limelight, you might be the person that's taking all the hits politically or taking all the negative from the community, but as long as they somewhat see you as just slightly above them, but someone that they can go to, um, I found that to be a good, strong philosophy as far as my leadership mm -hmm. style, and it's proven very well in my career. Right. Okay. And I've always taken the approach, and I learned this from a job I had as a part-time in high school, when I had a boss who said, I'll never ask you to do anything I wouldn't do myself. And I really like that, and I've adopted that as I've gone through my career in leading teams and people. Uh, the other thing, and very similar to what Matt would just, was just sharing, is I like to allow team members to run with things and let them take the ownership of it, have it, and then, of course, let them also take the recognition and credit for it. Right. So I've found that both those have served me very well because it engenders trust in the team. Right. And, you know, we've been kind of going through the Covey speed of trust and how trust builds in an element of speed that you don't have in, a, in an organization that doesn't trust one another, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is in a bureaucratic organization, there are fail-safes built in there to not trust people, right? And so we're trying to eliminate and clean that up to a certain extent. So through your career, you know, you've done different things, worked different things. Um you know, when did you kind of realize that, hey, I, I, this leadership thing is something I want to do. I want to kind of be involved in leading teams and people and, and accomplishing things. How did how that come about? How do you recognize that? Well, Dan, for me, that's that's a really good question. And it's obviously developed pretty extensively over time. But I'm the youngest of six um, in my family. But at the same token, all of my siblings are considerably older. My nearest sibling's 13 years older than I am, so I was the whoops baby, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but I, you know, from a very early age, I had that involvement of the older siblings, but when I got into my development years of being a teenager, I was a loner. So I really had to learn how to entertain myself, um, focus on my own growth, et cetera. Um, I was raised in the church, et cetera. So that really developed my overall leadership skills. And then going off to college, I was able to focus and hone those skills in so that I knew when I got out of college that, you know, I wanted to transition into that role, but I knew I needed to get valuable career experience in the field of my chosen study. So I focused on progressively responsible positions throughout my entire career sometimes taking a little step here and there to diversify my experience. But really, once I became a city and town manager, that's when it really clicked. I was like, this this is where I really enjoy being. And, you know, that can be challenging. And sometimes the politics are such that you, you move on from one post to another. But um, that's what's really helped me develop my right. career choice okay. in that arena. Yeah. Uh, I can actually pin it down to a singular event, okay. and it was in the fall of 1994. I had just advanced from a position with the Chicago MPO working back at the Illinois DOT, and I jumped up nicely in my career. And one of my coworkers, she was having difficulties really seeming to blend into the team and become an accepted member of the team. She asked me, just, can we talk? And we went outside, and we talked about her interactions and what was going on. It was at that moment I realized she's reaching out to me for how she's going to then interact with the team and fit in. And it was that moment that really, for me, 
cemented that I knew I wanted to go into leadership. Right. Yeah, that, that it's bigger than just uh, you know an org chart, right? It's the people involved and having to work through those those relationships. And you know, I think you know you're kind of in that role where you're the point person with the MPO and the board. It, you know, it's you, right? And you know, as a city and town manager, you're kind of in that same role. And so it's a little different perspective sitting there. So, um, in terms of leadership, who's kind of been the biggest influence on your life? It could be a group of people or, in, you know, anyone. Kind of how did that come about? Well, with me, I can really attest it to two individuals. Um, one has been just my constant relationship with God and my personal faith and my learning how to pray over time. Um, you know, Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy, he had an MTV <laughs> acceptance speech. And, you know, it was remarkable. It's a YouTube video. Watch right. it. It was so cool. You know, it was like nine values of Chris Pratt. You know, and he just said, God's real. He's in his life and it's important. And I just feel as though most all of my positions up until this point have really been as a result of my faith, but also my inner motivations, because, you know, you've got to put forth that effort. Um, and then, you know, several of my mentors, one of which a gentleman by the name of Chuck Cowart, he's a retired city manager from Treasure Island, came from Colorado. Um, just spending quality time with him taught me you can't ever wear your heart on your sleeve as a manager, mm -hmm. um, because you're going to be challenged in that regard. And I've focused on mentorship, and now I'm actually mentors to other leaders that are rising within the organization and my professional organization, and that's been very fruitful and rewarding. Right. Ah, excellent. I appreciate that. I've been very fortunate. During the course of my career, I've had some phenomenal leaders that I reported directly to, or perhaps I was a few steps below them. And because of that, I've been able to take a little bit from each person right. and fit the pieces that work really well with my aptitude and my personality and my style. Um, I've also noticed that at each organization, the culture of the organization or personality of that organization is a little bit different. And so a really good leader in one organization may not work out well in another organization without some changes. And so at each stop in my career, I've looked around to see who is it that I want to think, how would this person react in a situation? Here at the MPO, I think often of uh, Mr. Harry Barley, who is a retired executive director of the Orlando MPO, widely regarded as the statesman among MPO executive directors in Florida. And I commonly find myself asking, what would Harry do here? And that's who I've been thinking of a lot lately as I've stepped into this role. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, excellent. And, you know, uh, Matt, your, your perspective there, um, you know, we bring everything to work, right? You know, we don't just bring a part of ourselves. We bring the whole self to work. So mind, body, spirit, everything. And that's a really big impact on what we do and who we are. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. Is is you kind of have walked through your career, um, you know, none of us are young. You know, we've had a career behind us all with different experiences. Uh, what are some lessons uh, that you've learned over your career and some scenarios you've been in, both from a positive perspective, but also we sometimes learn more from negative perspective, negative in acts and, and things too. So what are some lessons you've kind of learned that you'd like to share? Well, I think you hit on it perfectly. There are examples of leadership that you've seen that you vow, I will never do that, or that is not the example I want to be. And sometimes those are just as valuable as the examples of things you want to replicate mm -hmm. or people you want to emulate. Right. And I, you know, as much as it's painful at the time that you're going through maybe a bad leadership experience, it helps grow you as a person 
and really helps you to redefine what's important to you. And as I mentioned early on here, I won't ask the team to do anything I myself am not willing to do. That was born also out of that example of seeing things I don't want to become. It was just reinforced, I guess we should say. Right. So that's been really important to me. Okay. All right. Dan, that's, those are good, good observations and good um, feedback from Carl. I think personally for me, I've had to learn to understand the value of the ego and mm-hmm. the role that it plays on us as individuals and constantly be conscientious and aware of the power of the ego and constantly keep it in check. Um, and I've been reading up on that extensively, and I've found that a true individual and a true leader We all have egos, but if we can actually find a way to step aside from that ego at times and be humble um, and show empathy towards others, I think that's personally helped me become a stronger leader throughout my entire career um, and just helping me to stay humble. Right. Yeah, I think when you look kind of at a list of um, good leadership characteristics and traits, you know, we talk about courage because without courage, nothing else matters, right? You know, without that base value of, of our Aristotle calls it the core, the base of values, right? Without that, nothing else matters. You, integrity doesn't work if you don't have courage to stand by it, right? Um, but humility and the ability to, um, you know, see and allow others to take credit for stuff um, kind of gets back to the, you know, it's amazing what we can do when we don't care who gets a credit kind of quote. Um, is is one especially as you rise up in the ranks it's really hard right to to stay that keep that humility as part of that and you know we live and work in an organization with and are constantly surrounded by elected officials and, and have to deal with with that and making sure the right people get the right credit at the right time and so it's really a kind of a fundamental challenge in in some of the work we do so that, i mean it's right on point with some of the stuff and it's it's hard right cuz we want to take credit for stuff we did right (laughs) right you know and yet it's some it sometimes you know i you know one of the things we talk about is you know you know when something good happens somebody else did it when something bad happens it's my fault right absolutely that's the way it works um you know as a city town manager you know you 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 live that right absolutely you know and that's kind of the way it works is that when things go great somebody else made it happen you know we talk about you know moffett ridge road and all that you know a lot of people involved in that you know, and made it happen, you know, but when things go wrong, you know, there's only one person that gets blame when, when stuff goes wrong. So no, great, great stuff. Um, how do you continue to build and develop your leadership? You mentioned reading, you know, reading some stuff, uh, and you know, I think that's vital, important, but how do you continue to develop those leadership skills and hone them over time? Cause none of us are where we, we, we want to be, right. We all have work to do. So how do you continue to work on those and then, you know, and, and do that over time? Well, as you mentioned, there's always reading um, different articles or books that are out there. I also find just by talking with my peers and learning what they are doing and taking from them examples and obviously adjusting it or building it for the team I have, for myself, for Pasco County, uh, that has been a really great source. And it's relatively easy and low tech. And I've just felt like that has really been a blessing to me that I've had others out there who are willing to share. Mm -hmm. So I'm very fortunate for that. Okay. 
Um, Dan, personally, I volunteer my time to assist other leadership organizations from time to time. I'm very active in Florida City County Managers Association. I served as District 7 Director several years back, which stretches from Ocala down to Tampa Bay. It's 114 different municipalities. Um, I'm also on the Leadership Pinellas Board, and I'm a graduate of their 2015 class. But I've been, I've remained involved with them since 2015. I actually was recently asked to um, put my name in the running for uh, president, and uh, I it's it's president elect, and then it's president and past president. So um, I agreed to do that. It's a three year commitment, but I've got two other colleagues that are also in the runnings for that. So you know, I just you know, like Carl said, I talk to my people, I communicate with them. And I'm constantly learning about what makes them tick. And that really blends together with um, my you know, professional aptitudes to, I think, make me good at what I do. Right, right, right. So how is your uh, working through with your teams and you know, working through the day-to-day grind, how do you identify and raise leaders and build leaders in your teams In my case, one of the things I've always noticed is there are people who like to grab things and run with them. Let them. You know, outline, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Here are the areas we can't go. Right. And then how you get from point A to point B, you decide that. Run with that. And let them show you that they're ready to take that on. And they might bring together other members of the team to accomplish a task. And I love seeing that happen. You know, it just kind of happens organically. But yet, here's somebody who's stepping into that role. And I want to encourage that because some people are comfortable with it, some are not. And I don't want to force it on someone who's not comfortable. I want it to just be where that's your comfort zone, have at it. And people learn a lot from that. Mm-hmm. You're always there as a resource to help them if they have questions or if things you know stumble along the way. But if somebody wants to grab something and take ownership of it, I want them to do that. I want you to be able to grow under me. And ultimately what happens is that person prepares themselves. They may leave for another opportunity because you've built up their resume and their skill set. What a great compliment that they were able to move on to another organization or to a higher level position that you helped build them to. And it's not long after that, you'll find you'll have a line of people who want to come and work for you because they see you as someone who helped them build their career. All right, right, right. Very good. Um, Dan, you know, I observe, I communicate with the folks on my team. And obviously working in a small municipality is a lot different than working in a much larger municipality like the county where we have 3,000 employees. So it's very difficult to get out and reach out and touch someone, especially when you have 3,000 people and, you know, right now in development services and uh, BCS, you know, 150 members. So it's really hard to get out and talk to that, you know, that plumbing inspector, et cetera. So what I often do is I'll talk to their managers and um, try to figure out who they are, not only at work, but who they are outside of work. Um, try to figure out what makes them tick. And then I will ask them about their subordinate staff and say, hey, you know, tell me about your team. And if I have an opportunity, I'll say, hey, let's go for a ride. Show me something. And I just get to know the folks on my team. Um, several of my managers over the years that I've taken pointers from used to say it's called management by walking around. And in reality, it's it's getting up, walking the plant, walking around the office, going to the outer branches if you can. Um, and that's how I've gotten to where I am, basically. Right, right, 
Right. Yeah. And management by walking about is, you know, it's kind of hard to do when we had a lot of people working remote, right? You know, walk down to the development services suite and working remote and there's nobody there and because everybody's working remote and you, it's kind of hard to manage by walking about in a remote environment. But, you know, we have teams that have been very successful working remote, mm-hmm. you know, that they, you know, pros and then the cons with that. And so, um, in, you know, your example of inspectors, we got a little bit going on from a development perspective in Pasco County. Those guys are going, you know, from dawn to dusk, basically. It's kind of hard to grab them and, and sit them down because of our customer demands on that. Um, so, uh, you know, you run a unique organization in Pasco because you're kind of one of the few that has a, a separate org that you or board that you work for, you know, you and tourism kind of have two separate boards that kind of you work for underneath the board. Um, how does that impact how you lead the team and, and work with the team? Because that is different than say planning and development or BCS, right? Cause you, you work for kind of work for Sally who works for me, who works for the board, but you really work for the MPO, which is the same five, but there's also more, right? And you a little bigger scope, a little different scope. Yes. Um, so one of the things that I've shared with the team is, you know, while we do ultimately, as you identified, work for the MPO board, um, we are, because we're hosted under the county, I've explained it that we are a guest in the house of Pasco County. And it is our obligation to be a good guest. Let's make sure that we're cooperating with others because there may be processes that the county has that maybe don't align perfectly with the MPO, but they are important to the county so that we're all unified in our approach. And we want to be part of that team. And so that's how I've explained it. And it it seems to resonate well with the team. They, you know, they grasp that concept and yep, got it, off we go. And so that's worked out well because again, you know, we're federally funded right. and those funds pass through, but the county acts as our banker. Right. And without you, we wouldn't be able to do this. HR. So Legal, exactly. You know, all the other purchasing, everything. All these right. things that support us. <laughs> right, right. And so it's really important that we remember, you know, we may be housed here, but we need to be good guests. And I just, I can't emphasize that enough. And that is true really of a lot of organizations that maybe are in that niche of being just a little different. And that is the nature of the MPO world. Right. Almost every MPO is somehow kind of a, a box off to the side right. on an org chart. Yeah, and you know, you have you know, one of the things that I like about when I was doing engineering or, or running capital projects is I could see immediate results, right? You you budget, you design it, you build it, you see the immediate impact to the community, whether it's a community center or a different type of you know water treatment plant, waste whatever, right? But y'all's projects, you know, you start it today for to have an impact, you know, in five years, ten years, twenty years down the road, sometimes. Yeah. How do you maintain that? So the big one is you have to grab those little victories when they come okay. along. You know, we adopt a new long-range plan every five years. Let's celebrate the adoption of that. When we're doing that, let's look for something that's maybe unique or different that really sets it apart, but something that our citizens, our elected officials can see and find value in. One of the things upon coming here, I wanted to look at how we prioritize projects because that's actually in a shorter term. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to results with that. And that was something that I celebrated that when we accomplished the board approval of that process. As we go forward, I can see us easily looking at how we're going to tackle maybe some sidewalk projects from a safety aspect near schools and that type of uh, nature, that type of uh, setting. And the great thing there is 
when you get those done and you hand it off to the next stage, you know you're making the quality of life for Pasco better. Right. Right. And you have to celebrate every one of those. Yeah. So if so, you, otherwise, you'll this, lose yeah. that energy. Yeah. So celebrate the small wins. Yes. While you're absolutely. waiting on the big stuff, because I mean, you have projects that literally are. 10, 20 year projects mm -hmm. because of the time it takes, the funding required, the studies that have to go through and everything, right? Yes, the scope of some of them, they'll be, I'll be driving on them when I'm a retiree. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, in, you know, and in, in Mao, I want to talk about your position too, because it's, you know, it was one we created. We weren't sure how it was going to work out. And, and you kind of had, you came in and effectively you were this position, but you didn't have any positional authority. It was all, you know, had to be relational authority. So how'd you make, manage to make that as a new person into the county, how'd you manage to work that so that end up, frankly, very successful at this point? That's a great question, Dan. And I think I just, when I looked at even the position description for this, to me, it's really something I've done for the last mm -hmm. probably 15, 20 years. And it was all based upon relationships and that whole just ability to just come and talk to people. And in this particular case, yes, new person, new guy on the block. There's a lot of folks within, say, the county organization that have been doing the same thing over and over. Um, and here's this new guy coming in. It, you know, in the beginning, um, I don't want to say I stepped on some toes. I might have tapped some toes. Mm -hmm. But I was always trying to be polite and respectful at the same time. But in the business community, I just basically took some of the more problematic projects and talk to the folks that I needed to. And I didn't make any promises. I've told people all along, I have a favorite saying, I don't fix parking tickets. Right. And for the most <laughs> part, you know, some people think, oh, well, gosh, this guy, business support manager, he can come in and basically redirect the C, you know, right, so right. people can walk through the middle. It's not exactly that. I explain people, you still have to go through the process. But what I found was the biggest item that set these projects back was communication. Right. And it wasn't necessarily the county's fault all the time. In some cases, it was the developer and their subordinate staff, engineers, architects, subconsultants, et cetera, that weren't communicating. And what I would do is I would just reach out to those folks, like Santander, for instance. Right. Perfect example. That one, little did I know, was a powder keg getting ready to blow up. And I was asked to sit in on a meeting with one of our commissioners and, you know, the uh, owner of the subcontracting firm that's, you know, associated with Outback Steakhouse and some pretty big movers and shakers. No problem. I've dealt with people like that in the past, but I just said, hey, where are we? What do you need? And laid out a game plan of how to get there. Now we have Santander open for business. You know, I liken it to a construction project. Your citizenry is going to just wear out the path between you and their home to complain about that roadway project that's under construction. They're having to wash their cars every single day. Well, you know, you think the sky's falling for six months. And then literally two weeks after that asphalt goes down, cars are clean. Residents tend to forget the misery that they went through for six months. And you got a beautiful roadway. And, you know, they're just like, oh, life's good again. And that's the way I look at with these particular projects is just – reaching out to folks, showing that empathy, and saying, let's see what we can do to figure out your system, your your challenges, and let's try to develop a plan of getting from point A to point B. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, even, you know, having battle on the other side of the table, 
I don't think it matters where you are. If you're unique, if the development process is new to you in that location, it's going to be a challenge, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter where you are. And, and I've done it in other areas where it's designed to be hard, you know, harder than ours. And so, um, yeah, communication, you know, you mentioned teamwork, you know, focus on goals and get things done, small wins, communication. So kind of very like tools, wisdom you want to share with our, you know, some things our, our listeners can take away. Well, to the communication, one of the things I've found is you can have some of your best meetings if you have food in front of you. <laughs> go to lunch with somebody. If things aren't working well, go to lunch and work things out over a meal. It is amazing what that can do. And it's a very casual, informal setting. Uh, it's not the pressure of you being called into a particular office. Um, I've found that to work everywhere I've worked. Yeah, Get outside the formal setting and go and you know, have a casual lunch. Yes, nice. absolutely. Yeah. Um, Dan, for me, it's unique because I think there's a perception from the general public that people in government work eight to four. And, you know, when that bell rings, it's a mass exodus. Well, in the last 15 years of my career, I think I've worked more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed that if you're good at what you do, you're more valuable to the organization. And, Unfortunately, you might end up working through lunch, which a number of us directors and managers do on a regular basis. And sometimes we are there after five o'clock and there's sometimes we're there before eight o'clock. You know, it's not uncommon. And I think what I always say to people is try to achieve a balance in your everyday life. You've got to focus on finding something that helps you be as good as you can be. Because I always want to interview people. I always ask them that question. And very often, I have not hired someone because they didn't have a balance in their life. They might have been all about their job, all about their career, and maybe not about their family or not about their recreational pursuits. Mm -hmm. And in what we do, I liken it to when you're in an airplane with your kids and those oxygen masks pop out. What's your first instinct? Oh, I'm going to put this on my kid first. Well, no, you got to put the mask on yourself because if you pass out, your kids are not going to know what to do. So, you know, I, I focus on that and I promote it with the subordinate staff. And when, they, when the staff hear you ask that question, initially they're, they're a little uncomfortable because they don't know, oh, my gosh, is there a wrong answer here? Am I being judged? And I just say, no, there's not. You know, I'm not saying, you know, take four hours off during the middle of the day and go fishing. I'm not saying that right. on the clock. That's yeah, unheard yeah, yeah. of. Right, right. But what I am saying is whether it's a fitness goal, find time to do it. Right. You know, one of our county administ- assistant county administrators, he goes out and swims at 530 in the morning so that he can get his workout in. You know, some people will come in early and then leave early so that they can maybe go play golf in the evenings, our mm-hmm. economic development guy does that. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, go do stuff with your family on the weekends. And, you know, you do have vacation time. It's not a sin to take vacation. Take a vacation day. Take one during the middle of the week. Go do something with not only yourself, but maybe your family. And that's important because balance, you know, I think is crucial in every, in all our lives. And we, you know, we've talked a lot here about the whole person, right? The whole person comes to work. And if, and if you're focused only on one aspect of that, right? The, the, the other suffer, which means ultimately that aspect suffers too, because it still is a whole person, you know, it, it all has to work. And so, 
you know, I, I, you know, tell my direct reports, you know, I have not yet, you know, in 30 something years of supervising people declined somebody's leave request or time off request. It just, you know, it doesn't make sense to do that. Right. Cause they know, they understand the mission. And when you trust them, they understand when there's times they can take off and when they can't. And so, you know, you just make sure. And the other thing is, you know, we, we want people to take off, you know, that's one reason why we cap, you know, PTO is because in, we want you to take it off. We don't want you to get to the cap, right? We want you to take that time off. So, because it, it just helps us all when we're refreshed and we can do that. Um, whether it's daily or, or over the course of a weekend or taking two weeks off here or there or whatever. So, you know, it really helps. So, Hey, it's great for y'all being here today. I appreciate it. Um, so at the end of these things, we do a little lightning round. And I have other questions, um, mainly kind of help to get to know you. Um, and so that people can, uh, kind of see what, what you're about more than just what we talked about. So, um, not difficult questions, but you know, things like dawn or dusk, your morning person or evening person? Morning. No question. Both. Both. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's unique. <laughs> um, what's your favorite season? I know we live in Florida, so we don't really have four. But what's your favorite season? When I lived up north, it was absolutely spring because you were coming out of the winter, and it was right. this everything was getting green again, and it just lifted your spirits. All the yeah, all the flowers blooming, and, mm -hmm. and all the pollen in the air too. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would have to say mine's fall. Okay, uh, fall winter primarily because it brings hurricanes to our area, and uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, I have mixed emotions. Uh, my family, we're a family of surfers. Okay. So when the storms come, when it's nasty, rainy outside, and everybody's huddled inside, that's kicking up a wave either on our Gulf Coast or on the East Coast. Coast. And uh, it's just it's just humbling to be out there in the water. Okay. So you're the only person in the organization that's thrilled when we have to activate the EOC. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I say that with mixed emotions because I've staffed EOCs in right, the past, right, right. and I tell staff there, again, it goes back to what you asked earlier right. about um, achieving a balance and pacing yourself. Mm -hmm. Because whenever we'd have a hurricane or a storm, I'd always tell staff, don't watch the news. Right. Turn your TV off because invariably what happens is the – week to 10 days prior to the arrival of a storm, you're inundated with details right. and information. So literally when the storm physically comes, it's not like it just passes through like a you know winter snowstorm. Mm -hmm. It oftentimes is slow or sits right off the coast or whatever. So you got to staff EOC, et cetera. And then when the storm's gone, boom, you're doing cleanup and you're doing 24 hour shifts, vice right. versa. And you're just spent by the time the storm gets here. Right. So I'm like, no, you got to have some sort of balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's one, you know, we kind of limit the staff in the OC early and it is, and as it gets closer, we start ramping up, but we don't, you know, you don't fully staff. You want people doing their day-to-day -day jobs as long as they can until we need them to do other stuff. But so the other one I like to ask is the office or parks and rec? I'm not much of a TV guy, okay. unfortunately, so that's not going to be. I'm not going to be helpful for you for that question. You know, Dan, I'm, I apologize. I'm not going to candy coat things, but I have to side with Carl. I, uh, I'm outside. I'm going to have to scratch that one off the list because we're getting more and more people that don't watch either, any of those sitcoms or, or TV, which is interesting. It just as a dynamic uh, as an organization, um, you know, you know, five ten years ago, everybody would have had an opinion on, mm -hmm. on that. And, um, so if you could travel anywhere, what's one place you'd like to go to? 
Uh, I'd like to go to Indonesia. Okay. Uh, you know, Bali, Nusa um, Lomboka, and there's several areas over there. Obviously, the third world countries, but the water's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And at certain times of the year, they have some incredible waves. Okay. <laughs> Figured it was a wave connection in there somewhere. So, Carl? For me, uh, the next place I want to go to is Hawaii. Okay. I made it to 49 of our 50 states, and that is the last one really? on the bucket okay. list. If I'm looking for a quick place to go to, the American West, such as the Grand Canyon, I mm -hmm. could go there repeatedly, and right. I find it fascinating every time. Okay. I just love it there. Pretty. Yeah. 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 Well, usually for Hawaii is not the last one on the list. It was the most difficult to get to, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. Alaska was the second to last. Okay. Well, they aren't <laughs> contiguous, so there is that. I've hit those both, and there's other states I haven't hit. So, you know, uh, but you can thank the U.S. military for that one. So, <laughs> so well, hey, thanks for being here today. Um, I really appreciate it. I know uh, those listening uh, or watching will appreciate it, too. I appreciate the insights. I always learn something from these. Um, so thanks, Carl and Matthew, for being here. Um, it was great to have you both. And special thanks to our media relations team who makes this entire effort possible. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Pasco Podcast. I'm Dan Biles, and until the next one. For more information on Pasco County government, please visit mypasco.net and check us out on Facebook and Twitter.